Hello, everyone. This is John Sterling, and you're listening to the Curtain Call Podcast, featuring Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer, Mr. John J. Filippelli, and his co-host, Kevin Sullivan. Well, Flip, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Yankees fan. Obviously, they're fresh off the heels of a 10-game winning streak. Won two out of three against the Red Sox, obviously lost Sunday. That 10 in a row flip is off the heels of a more of a downturn for the Yankees. So what I want to know from you is, which is the real Yankees? Is it this 10 in a row team? Well, you'd like to think that, and it could very well be. Remember what a great uh, way the Yankees started the season. I mean, they were like the hottest team in the game uh, at the beginning of this, of this uh, season, if you will. Uh, middle, they seemed to slump badly and even to the point that they, you didn't even recognize the great start they had gotten off. And you would scratch your head and say, what's going on with this team? What's wrong with the Yankees? Yes, there were injuries, but still, they shouldn't have been playing as poorly as they were. Uh, now they've seemed to, they won 10 in a row and then they lost today, was as we, we recording this, is that Sunday. Uh, and there's one week left in the regular season. But uh, the Yankees look like they have righted that ship. Uh, you know, and they're, they're pitching well and they're hitting and they're playing defense better. And, uh, you know, uh, bullpen has come around a little bit. And so you look at the Yankee team as it's currently constituted and you say, this is a very, very dangerous team. If we get to the play, we will get the playoffs. They will have a playoff spot. The only question is with a week left, where, where they will slot. But they seem to still slot pretty favorably, it looks like. And I will say that this team – because of because of what that one two of Cole and Tanaka gives you, and Cole is just pitching lights out now. He's found his form, which is remember they're only sixty games. Well, actually, to this point in time, probably fifty four. So with only the games in the mid fifties played, uh, he's now finding his form. Tanaka has his form, and you're know, getting nice contributions from Demi Garcia. And so the Yankees are the Yankees starting pitching is strong. The bullpen is is rebounding, pitching better, and their offense has been just off the charts. I mean, off the charts, and, and Luke Voigt has been in the forefront of that offense. So when you look at what the, what the Yankee offense is, when you look at the players that have come back and hopefully could stay on the field, the Yankee potential in October is enormous, and they're a very dangerous team, and they're not a team I would want to play or come close to playing. You've given me so many ways I could follow up on that. I, I think what I will follow up with one? is – you pick one, though? Pick one. I'm going to pick one. Well, I'm going to pick like a handful maybe and then just – one at a time. Right, one, yeah, one. Okay, <laughs> so you said the Yankees righted the ship. Obviously, they did right the ship. Someone else who has righted the ship is Gary Sanchez. Um, let me give you some numbers real quick. Last seven games heading into Sunday, batting 296, three home runs, nine RBI. Now that is versus his previous 35 games where he batted 119, seven home runs, and 15 RBI. So clearly a different Gary Sanchez, right? Yes, but you know, but then which is the real Gary Sanchez? Is the question you have to ask. Uh, the the Gary Sanchez of enormous potential, the Gary Sanchez who could hit during a regular season of a, a full regular season could hit anywhere between forty and possibly fifty home runs. Um, a, a catcher who has gotten a little better with the, certainly could frame well, but has gotten better at blocking and, and is a little bit better defensively. Or is he the one who's uh, he sort of has you know uh, you know inexcusable pass balls and and uh, and makes mistakes that you scratch your head by? So there's a lot of inconsistency to Gary Sanchez, but his potential is enormous. Uh, there is inconsistency to to not want to say to Aaron Judge, because there's not, I mean, but, the, but he has to stay on the field. We always talk about stay on the field. Stay, stay on, the, on field. the field. 
stay on the field. If he stays on the field, uh, he's as good a player as there is in the game. But he's got to stay on the field. He's got to sort of stay away from these nagging, these nagging sort of habitual sort of uh, injuries that have taken a toll on him because uh, if he stays on the field, he stays healthy on the field, no one can contribute more mightily to the Yankee cause than, than Aaron Judge. So that's obviously very important to the team. Stanton is now back in the lineup. I mean, he's obviously been had his, uh, his problems with injury and staying on the field. If he could stay on the field, if he, stay, he and Judge, I mean, what a lethal middle. And that's Sanchez, by the way. What a lethal middle you have. I mean, you couple that with what, what Voight and – and, and LeMay you have done as, you know, as a sort of a, you know, pick up some other organizations and, and how they, well, they've played and how they just ride at home now in the Yankee uniform and making strong contributions. So you look at the offense that those players give you, you look at the players who, if they could just stay on the field, the offense that they can give you. And you look at the, we haven't even talked about Gleyber Torres, who last year was one of the best players in baseball and is still only just a child at 22 or 23. So he's got his whole future ahead of him. And, uh, but the Yankees now are starting to play in a way which gives you real confidence about what they can do, the havoc they could reach in October, and the potential they have to really to win a World Series. You mentioned Voight. He's obviously somebody who has not needed to write the ship. He's had a great season. Uh, Sunday night hit his 21st home run. That leads all of Major League Baseball. Um, and as I'm watching him round the bases in the top of the ninth inning in a game that presumably was already over, limping around the bases, my question to you would be, should he even be playing in some of these games as we get ready for the postseason? Well, obviously, if the Yankees felt that he shouldn't be on the field and he felt that he shouldn't try and play through it, that he wouldn't be on the field. Um, sometimes, you know, there's all sorts of ways to set an example. And some guys, sometimes guys will play through an injury uh, uh, and say, you know what, maybe I'm not 100%. I'm not. But the team needs me out there. They just do. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to take anything and use it as an excuse. And I give him a lot of credit. I give LeMayu a lot of credit because they, they're, the, they're the guys that want to be in that lineup. Well, I'm saying the other players don't, they do. But I'm just saying they, they make it their business to sort of lead by example and, and try to stay on that field, realizing that the only way you can contribute is by staying on the field. And I guess if they felt that whatever these, at this, I don't want to say at this time of the year, because again, we're only 54 games into a, a yeah. season basically. But because this has been such a crazy year because a truncated season you know you have to sort of you know grade it on a curve almost and I think if you look at it at what they've been able to do in this series in this they they are looking at it and say look we've I've, we don't have that many games if you look at it in the aggregate and every game has to count it counts for almost three really does so we, the, the, I've got to give my team the best chance I can to win they can to win and their best chance is by having me in the lineup I'll tell you what, I think this is, when Aaron Judge isn't on the field, this is Luke Voigt's team. He's become the leader of this team. He's become the voice in the clubhouse. You could see it in the postgame pressers. And that's probably why he's out there. He's like, this is my team. I have to show that I'm a gamer. Well, th that's, an interesting, that's an interesting statement because I do think that there's some merit to that for sure. Uh, because when, but I think you said it when, when, when Judge is not on that field, uh, you know, that, that is, it's, well, and then again, some guys lead, can be very vocal, so, and other guys can be less vocal, but they're still leaders. I mean, I think LeMayu is a, is a tremendous player, and he also has a, has a hand in the leadership of the team. And, uh, you know, you just, you just look at it and you say, uh, just look at, look at where Voight came from. LeMayu was a very good player with the Cubs and then later the Rockies. The, if I follows the game, knows he's a good player, but not like this, not to this level. 
So, but now he's just, maybe it's because he's inspired by the uniform or he's gained a new, or his game is just, you know, found its, its next level. And sometimes it happens with players. They, they, sometimes they may stay at a certain level for a long time and then it doesn't look like they're going to advance that level. Then all of a sudden they, they find that some way to get an overdrive and kick it into that next level. And, and that's what LeMayu has done. So I mean, he's getting contributions from there. And let's not forget about, uh, let's not forget about what Cole now is doing. I mean, Yankees signed him to be, a, be an elite pitcher, one of the best in the game. And not that he struggled. He hadn't really struggled. He just was slow finding the form that maximized him and put him in that elite, that, you know, put him in that underscored how elite he really is. Well, now he's pitching like an elite performer because, again, it's only – if this were a regular season, we, Kevin, we'd be talking about it be May, right? Somewhere around the end of May. And, uh, and now we're coming close to the end of what is this season. But still in all, I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting how the game has morphed and how it's gone to a point where it started and there were just all kinds of questions, not only about the team staying on the field and doing whatever, but also there was questions about, you know, playing in this with no fans in the stands and, you know, what that would be like and guys wearing masks and health field. And I mean, and, but now it's one of the everyday experience. It is part of the new norm. And I will tell you, now I'm just getting into baseball for being baseball, and I'm really enjoying it. And the things that I thought I would really miss, I'm not saying I don't miss the roar of the crowd, but what I'm saying is I've adapted to it, and I can enjoy the game on its own level. Glad you brought that up, because here we are entering into the final week of the season. Um, overall, I would, I, you already kind of said it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the 60-game season. And I guess more uh, specifically, what has surprised you about the 60-game season? There were some of these things that, you know, I went into it saying, no, no, do not put a man on second in extra innings. You know what? I, I, I don't hate it. Well, you know, I also didn't know if I would like a, a, a tournament format when it gave us brackets, if you will. I mean, baseball was never a sport about being in a bracket or a tournament. It, baseball was always about the, 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 the length of the schedule. It was the crucible, if you will. You had to play 162 games, still be standing then get into a playoffs and, and a various level of playoffs and win them and ultimately want to hopefully win a World Series. So it really was a crucible. It was a long and difficult crucible. Well, this is also a crucible, but it's a different crucible for a different reason because it's not about length. It's about brevity. It's about now every game really does maximize its most and it does count and the, to the most. And so you really do put an importance on the sprint as opposed to the marathon. So it's actually reverse sort of a scenario than one that we're used to thinking of the game. We're used to thinking of it as a, as a, as a marathon. Now it's a sprint. And uh, so the Yankees have had to put on their track shoes and adapt that old team's app. But the Yankees seem to have adapted to this. Listen, this was not going to be business as usual. We knew that. This is not going to be – this was a season, as we know, like no other baseball has faced. And let's hope that this will never face a season like this again. But I must tell you, from I mean, I had my doubts about a lot of it. But I've got to tell you, I'm enjoying the games on their own level now, on their own merit. And I think that, uh, although I mean, I, lo- I like the crucible of the long season, I do think that for what this is, I think the players and the teams have made the most of it. And I think it's going to be an exciting October. You know what else I thought I would, I don't want to use the word hate, but hate, uh, seven inning double headers. And I love them on a yeah, Sunday. I, mean, I, I like them too. Sign me up for those. So back to the playoffs, the brackets, uh, 16 teams. I'm going to withhold comment until I see it. Cause like yeah. I said, I went into this season saying I'm not going to like a lot of things, and I turned yeah. out liking them. Yeah. But on the surface, I, I'm a little weary. 16 teams feels like a lot of teams. 
Well, it is, and there's another level of playoffs now, but think of it that the, what you've added in terms of teams and in terms of another level of playoffs, you sort of, uh, you know, there's not the, the regular season is like a third of what it was. So you've shortened the season by, by almost two-thirds, and what you're then doing is playing, um, you know, putting more of an emphasis on the, 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 the tough schedule that will be October, playing every day, playing every day now, October, no days off. I mean, this is going to be really test your mettle as a team because it's getting, there, be, there will be no breaks now. There'll be no travel. There'll be none of that. No travel breaks. Nothing. You've just got every day you've got to go out there and you have to put in your mind you are in the playoffs and every game is magnified. And you really did put, it really does put a premium on winning every game, as many games as you can and as quickly as you can. And that's not going to be easy. The mental grind of this is going to be as difficult as the physical grind. No breaks is important. I want to get into that too because um... – you, you know, the Yankees have to think twice about uh, setting up their pitching rotation because there are no breaks. We'll get into that. But before we do, I want to do three things. You want to let me do three things? Sure. What do you think the first one is? Uh, let me guess. Rate. <laughs> rate yeah, well, review. rate, review, and subscribe, right? Uh, you but gave the third one away. I was going <laughs> to guess that. But all right. Rate, review, subscribe. You got me. Yeah. But that, that was just one. That's number one on my okay. list of three wow. things. Okay, yeah. so rate, review, subscribe. Don't, don't throw that away. It's not a throwaway line. Rate, review, it's subscribe. Not. It's not. It's important. Okay, that's one. Go ahead. And you know what? It only takes a few moments. Yes, it does. And, and we expect more people to do it. So <laughs> Second thing I want to do. Get off your couch and go to the window, window and roll. Open up that window and yell, rate, review, <laughs> subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Go ahead. Yell it. I'm uh, mad as oh. hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I'm going to rate, review, and subscribe. I'm going to do it right now. And when you're done doing that, I want to do something a little bit different. I, I'm thinking next week we can have like a Q&A, you know, like ask, flip anything kind of thing. So I'm going to ask our listeners. Wait, there's that's two dangerous. ways. That's dangerous. <laughs> there's All two right. ways to contact us. I know you're going to play along. Yeah, There's I will. two ways to contact us. You could tweet us. We're at Curtain Call Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or you can email us. Curtain Call Yes at gmail.com. Flip, what kind of questions do you want? Assuming you, you, you're cool doing this, right? Curtaincalyes at gmail.com. Yes, send those questions. And All right, so I'm doing the old Johnny Carson thing with the envelope, okay? And I'm holding it to my head. And I'm saying, absolutely, am I cool with this? And, you know, it would be fun. But here it is. So we know that there are a lot of you who listen to this. And we, we say thank you very much. And it would be more of you if you actually rate, review, and subscribe, but I'm not going to give you a lecture about that. But, but uh, uh, we know that there's a lot of you because we get the metrics on this. So thank you. But we now need you to contribute to the fee is right. I mean, this is like free, right? So we're trying free. to give some entertainment, some information. We really need you to ask us questions, okay? Don't force, you know, Kevin and I to sort of uh, come up with this on our own. We're not that smart. We need your help. We need you to come up with questions that you could give us and that we could uh, – you know, take it anything. Whether it's uh, as we begin, the, the theme of the show was always going to be it's about Yankee information and Yankee baseball, but it's also about it's about yes, and it's about media business, and it's about uh, you know things that are affecting media business that are sort of maybe I mean outside baseball. And by the way, one of our guests coming up will be the Guardian of Chaos, which we'll explain that in a little while. And you don't want to miss the Guardian of Chaos. He's the most fascinating, inter- interesting guy and a good guy and knows a lot about the world of wrestling. And I think you will find him most uh, entertaining and informative. But uh, yes, we really need you to, to help us validate our format and ask us questions. So please, please 
rate, review, subscribe, and, and almost as important, almost as important, contact us at Gmail because we do want to have your questions and we do want to uh, have some fun and give you some thoughtful answers. So the truth is I'm winging it over here, guys. I need you to help me. Give me some questions. Kurt and call yes at gmail.com. I have one more thing. Remember I had three things. Flip. Yes. We should probably introduce ourselves. You know, we should have done that at the top though. Don't you think? I like diving right in with content before introducing. Do we have that open? Did John Sterling do an opening for us? He did. Yeah. It's at the top. Oh yeah. Did. Did okay. See, I, no, I didn't hear it. No. Yeah. We're recording this out of order. I didn't hear the top. Okay. So it's good. I'm, I'm going to put it in in post. Okay. So was That's it why good? you didn't hear it. Uh, is it good? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Is it good or very good? It was awesome. And he gave you a home run call. Oh, my God. All right. That's not, that, I'll be surprised. I'll wait to hear it later. My yeah, goal I, is to have a home run curl called by John Sterling. Okay. We're um, going to play it right in between this segment and the chaos interview. Okay. That way, right. the guardian of chaos, Big Daddy. So by way of introduction, as always, yeah. uh -huh. I'm sitting across the Zoom by Mr. John J. Filippelli, Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer, uh, has almost literally seen it all in the last 50 years uh, and truly a, a sports icon. I'm not just saying that because he's across the zoom from me. And now Flip, you have to say something nice about me. I'm thinking, wait, <laughs> it'll take a while. Something nice. About you. Um, your first name is in the middle of the initial is in the first, uh, is a sort of in the first quadrant of the alphabet. Hey, I've heard worse about me. I'll take it. <laughs> I would say, let's see, let's see, something nice about you. How about you are really good at what you do and you really care and that you work hard? Uh, we could go with that. I mean, I won't go with something else, but seriously, I went with that. <laughs> would that be okay if I did that? Perfect. We can move on. And, no, no, no. And, and you are like my partner in this. And, and I know we've, we've been successful. Thank you for everybody for helping us. Uh, but we're only successful because you help make us put us where we are. So I really appreciate that from you. So thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, you for guy and stuff. I'm very, getting very emotional. Wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, over. really over now, it now. now that we have that out of the way, I want to go back to talking about the postseason. Blow my nose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Better now. The first round, as we know, is a best of yes. three. Yes. With that in mind, I'm curious how you lay out the Yankees rotation. I obviously know who your one and two are. But who is your three? Is it Davey Garcia or Jay Um, Wow. Right? Wow. Well it's, a, well, it's a matter of, well, first of all, what's really important to know is that no matter who that third person is, that you've got a bullpen behind them. Because as good as Garcia has been, although he struggled today, but as good as his potential is and the strikeout, that swing and the stuff that he has, if he should get a high pitch count, start to falter, Yankee bullpen is behind him. You know, Hap is a veteran and he's capable any time out there of giving you a really strong performance. But if he doesn't, you've got that Yankee bullpen behind him too. So whoever it is, it's the, they, I think, might be on a pretty short leash in a playoff game, number one. I mean, you're not going to give them the same leash that you would give, obviously, a Kohler or Tanaka, I don't think. So uh, they'll be on a shorter leash, but you've got the Yankee bullpen behind them. So whoever it is will be somebody, that obviously the Yankees will give them the best chance to win. Win also matchups against certain teams. You know, certain teams, certain pitches will match up better against certain teams. Um, 
you know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to play certain teams that are, are dead fastball hitting teams. You want to stay like the Twins are a pretty strong fastball hitting team, right? So you want to go someone else, someone who has a great breaking ball and doesn't necessarily rely on a fastball for every for every strike they can get. That may that's going to enter into this as well. So you look at the matchups and do whatever. But I would say, again, I don't I can't commit to it not because I don't want to commit to it because I think it's going to depend. But whoever it is, you have the Yankee bullpen behind them. That's a good point about the matchups, obviously. So it's not fair really to say now. And I think a lot comes down to this week, right? So Davey Garcia is going to have another start. Let's see yes, if he, he can is. bounce so back. Hap will too. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Hap's coming off an awesome eight. Was it an eight inning performance against mm-hmm. Boston? Mm-hmm. Hey, not a bad problem to have. No, no. And I, like I said, the Yankees are peaking, have peaked at the right time. Now, again, the last couple of games will show you a lot, but again, you know, if the, if the Yankees secure their spot and uh, they may take a game or two, to, if they don't see them advancing themselves another slot or two, which may not happen, uh, then I think they'll look at it to sort of rest people a little bit, get to really get them ready for October. Because there's not going to be days off in October. Rest is going to be important. Still plenty of Yankees talk to come up, but I think maybe we should preview our guest. What do you think? Yes. He's, uh, this is not like any other Curtain Call podcast, which is why I think maybe a little, a little from you flip on who we have, how you know this person, why we have him, you know. Uh, he's someone that, I, you know, that I follow the world of wrestling. I, I worked in it for like two years of my career. Uh, uh, Big Daddy uh, is an interesting person. He's known as the guardian of chaos. <laughs> oh my God. But, you know, he really knows the business. He's fun. He's entertaining. He is, uh, he is thoughtful. Uh, he's smart. Uh, and uh, he will give you uh, an education on, on the world of wrestling. You know, World of Wrestling is obviously is tremendously popular on television and has done, uh, you know, wonders in terms of ratings and has always been a staple of, of primetime television for us and going back to Gorgeous George. So it's it's it, it's a uh, it's an uh, impression on the on the on the broadcast industry is palpable, and it uh, it matters a great deal, obviously, and uh, and its its effects on pop culture are, have been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating business. And uh, it was one, someone who could take us a little bit inside it and talk a little bit to it. And because it, it is so prominent. And again, when, when the pandemic was in its infancy and sports was just shut down universally, the sort of the one area that they could sort of do some programming for and, uh, and still have some shows on the air was, the, was uh, pro wrestling. So it's a fascinating business. It's a fascinating uh, form of entertainment, entertainment. And Big Daddy will give you a, a sort of an inside look at it so he'll be a he's a fun listen to and yet he's a he's a you know a person who can get you to think a lot about a lot of things so uh he's a great guest and i'm really looking forward to hear what he has to say and like you flip i have a history in uh professional wrestling so i'm definitely looking forward to this conversation before we get there though here is john sterling's flip home run call so Flip digs in. He's a right-hand hitter. The pitch is swung on and hit in the air to deep left field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Flip lets it rip. He homers in the left field seats, and the Yankees take a 4-3 lead. John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan, a curtain call. Uh, remember, if you like what you are hearing, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate it very much. If you go back and you look at the, the history of television, you will see that from, from its infancy, television and wrestling have been sort of, uh, have been aligned. They've been aligned because uh, some of the highest rated programs in the history of television have actually been shows by wrestling. The wrestling industry still thrives to this day, uh, not only as a television product, but also as a, as a, as a gate 
attraction uh, when we do have obviously audiences and hopefully someday we'll have people back in arenas and, and you'll be able to, that's a testament and stadiums and that's a testament to how popular it is because you'll see uh, they routinely sell out of every live event. Uh, it, right now in the industry, uh, top 10 television shows, all right? Many of them are shows about wrestling. There are aggregate of over 6 million viewers. That's a lot of viewers for these shows. And in terms of social media, they are uh, number one in social media. So when you look at 6 million viewers across the board in television and usually social media, that the number one in social media, it's quite a statement about the popularity of professional wrestling. Guardian of Chaos is one of the most interesting people that I know. And you will see that as the show unfolds here. He spent 35 years in the wrestling business. He has wrestled with some of the biggest names in the business, over 20 Hall of Famers, WWE, WWF types, all great ones. And he is a part of that uh, sort of that legendary ilk, if you will. He's also been in, in private security. He's been in movies. He has been a, a bounty hunter. He has had just the craziest life. But he's a really interesting guy, and I hope that that comes across. So, all right, my guest now, Cardi, Guardian of Chaos. How are you, Guardian or Chaos? How are you? John, it's great to be here on the curtain call. Uh, Kevin, how are you? It's, it's great to see you guys. And uh, I'm humbled and honored to be on here with such uh, two legendary men. And I know I throw that word around a lot, but it's great to be here on the curtain call. I'm humbled and honored. That resume, that flip red, that if you put it on paper, is probably 10 pages. What haven't you done? <laughs> the one thing I haven't done, Kevin Sullivan, and again, uh, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I've never signed a contract, so... Uh, if you ask the one thing that I've never done, I've never signed a contract. So, how did you get started in the wrestling business? What what, what attracted you to the business? What was how did you get started? When did you realize this is something I wanted to do with my life? Well, John, uh, flip if you will. Uh, I go back to the early '70s in the uh, legendary World Wrestling Federation territories of New Haven, New York City. Uh, Hartford County, where I went to the Civic Center, the Coliseum, and obviously Madison Square Garden as a young boy at, at seven and eight years old, and was doing backyard wrestling back in the 70s with uh, the neighborhood kids long before anybody thought about it in the 21st century and then have gone on to be stars. Some of the first matches I remember were at the old New Haven Arena and seeing then Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion Bruno Sammartino with the likes of Tor Kamada and Stan the Man Stasiak and Baron Mikel Sakluna and the legendary Valiant Brothers and Captain Lou Albano. Those were my early influences as a young boy and waiting up till midnight on WOR Channel 9 before the Trotters uh, uh, program. And then wrestling came on and my parents said, geez, what are we going to do so we don't have to stay up till midnight? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take him to a live event and he'll see that it's that it's scripted and it's fake and we'll never have to do this ever again. Well, <laughs> needless to say, what a mistake that was. And uh, here we are all these years later. So that was the first moment as a fan, as a young boy, Flip. So, that's, so you're talking about the, the, the let's say, the mid-60s, late-60s, early-70s? I'm, I'm talking my earliest memories were 1970, 1971, yeah. mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden, uh, the old New Haven Arena. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, the New Haven Coliseum, the Hartford Civic Center, those were the mainstays here in the Northeast up to Boston Garden and being able to travel around to those arenas as a young man. I mean, it's, as you guys well know, being from the Northeast, we have some of the legendary venues and unbelievable. So we have something in common in that my home Coliseum was New Haven Coliseum. I loved going there. And I remember the big round red uh, numbers, uh, it, the four columns and the sides. 
Um, that was where I first met um, Howard Finkel. Did you know Howard, Chaos? Uh, I did not know Howard Finkel. I know exactly what you're talking about, Kevin, with the escalators coming down. Now, I never performed at the at the Coliseum. Uh, guys that I'm associated with now at Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling, Paul Roma, Mario Mancini, Paul Perez, the big Steve Tracy, they all performed at the Coliseum as workers. These were the, This was the connection back to the Quest facility in the early 80s. So to be there and Howard Finkel, actually, God rest his soul, inducted Mario into the class of 2014 New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Howard Finkel was an unbelievable man from what I understand. I never met him though, Kevin. No, unbelievable man. Um, I always say, and, and I'm not uh, exaggerating, a Hall of Fame person. My first day at WWE back in August of 98, um, he walked up to me in the cafeteria and welcomed me. Um, and we talked for about 10 minutes only but it was like we were old friends and it's that kind of thing, you know, a little snot nosed punk like me coming in in 1998 and he made <laughs> me feel comfortable. Right. That's how, you know, what kind of person he was. Um, so we talked a little bit, you know, we've gone back to the seventies already. Uh, and one of the things I like to ask people who are in the business is why do you think it's been so successful for so long? So it's been from generation to generation to generation. It just continues to succeed. When in reality, it could have gone the way of like rollerball or American gladiators very easily, but it never did. I believe, Kevin, that it's been generational because of the larger than life characters, which is what today's industry is lacking. And we can get onto a whole conversation in a podcast about that. But I believe generational all the way back to Antonina Rocca, Argentino Apollo, a gorgeous George. You can even go back before that to the legendary shooters that were it started in the circus and in the carnies. And that's where the words uh, come from, a jabroni and stuff like that. Everyone wants to credit it to the Iron Sheik. But that's, that's a, a question generational because the men are larger than life. It's storytelling. It's emotional investment. It keeps people coming back. There's no off season. It's like a soap opera. That's why I'm hooked at, at still at this stage of my career. You talked a little bit about uh, baby face and heels, good guys, bad guys, right? It's a basic kind of morality play, right? Good guys versus bad guys, good versus evil. That's kind of the basic concept. Uh, and there's other, there's other terms, just so our audience gets familiar with them. Let's go through a couple of them, Chaos, and just give you a brief definition of them, okay? So what, what is a shoot? Well, as Kevin knows, who, someone who's very knowledgeable in the business, a shoot is when you're doing something in real time and live for real. Okay, that's what uh, legendary, and that's where it calls a shoot wrestler. When things go wrong and someone's not just stiffing you, they're giving you a potato, they're hitting you for a real, they're sending a message. So it's turning it almost into a legitimate fight a la the UFC and MMA. So kind of the opposite of a shoot would be a work then. Well, correct, uh, Flip. It's great to see that you have done your research, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. So, so you've got shoot work. Uh, you've got uh, put someone over. Now, why do you want to put someone over? What's the, what's the point of putting somebody over? Tell, explain well, that, that to us. The most important thing about putting someone over, that's what I did as my character and still do as the guardian of chaos, Big Daddy. That's the full moniker. As a, a hype man, a pitch man, a manager, a cross between Captain Lou and Jesse Venturna and Bobby Heen and Gorilla Monsoon, all rolled into one. 
you want to put other people over because that makes you look good. You're telling the story and you are just as important as the person who's going over in the story. And you have to trust that person with your body physically and mentally and be able to catch the crowd, get the pop, tell a story, have the high spots, have your moves mean something. And, and, and that's, that's my opinion. That's where I come from being for someone who's been from the 80s in, in the business into the 21st century. Going back to prior to the mid 80s, uh, there was, uh, you know, it had its place in, and, and it was very popular. But some, somewhere in the mid 80s, a transformation took place where it became mainstream. It got out of being sort of niche and sort of a niche form of entertainment to a much larger, it went much larger than niche. It went mainstream. And part of that was the rock and wrestling connection. And it was Vince McMahon sort of taking the product away from sort of these, all these local promoters, if you will, and giving it sort of a national and then a global presence. Correct, Chaos? That makes sense? That's, that's very accurate. That's very correct, Flip. Uh, the 1980s, the mid-1980s, when MTV was born and they had the whole rock and wrestling connection and they brought in Cyndi Lauper and all the musicians and, and Mr. T and, and a Hogan that was at his most, his biggest and was making uh, uh, the Rocky Three movie, the war to settle the score, the brawl to settle it all, which led into WrestleMania 1 pre-explosion where it got into cartoons and went mainstream. And it was a very interesting time. And that's what brought all the mainstream attention with and then if you put in the 2020 issue with david schultz it, it even went bigger you mentioned mentioned that it exploded you know that it went that it went you know mainstream and you saw it go mainstream you saw it going from niche to to mainstream and then and then global what was that like as someone who's in the business to see that transformation happen on, on the level at which it happened and the way it accelerated what was that like for you as someone who was in the industry to see well, I always liked the territorial system of the 70s and into the 80s. And then when I became prominent for my role as an independent contractor and doing what I did, I worked the territorial system even when there wasn't. What I think, I didn't sign a contract. I wasn't working for Vince in the WWF or the NWA at that time. And what Turner did, I think it was a great thing that it went global. Seeing it as a fan and someone who was in his mid-20s at that time trying to break into the business and traveling down to WCW with all the stars down there and the Samoan SWAT team, I learned a lot. And I thought the business was unbelievable and what it's turned into today at that time and to be a part of it. I wish I was a talent at that point, because to me, that's what led to all the explosion of the Monday night wars and so on and so forth. And I can go on for a long time with that, Kevin, I'm sure you can answer to that question as well. Yeah, actually, before we do that, I want to go back because you said um, Dr. D David Schultz, and I know you said it really quickly in passing, but um, tell me, have you seen dark side of the ring? Dark Side of the Ring is an unbelievable series, and I implore the fans out there of the Curtain Call and of the Yes Network to go out and, and watch Dark Side of the Ring. They've completed two seasons. They're going on to a third season, and David Schultz was involved in one of the Dark Side of the Ring episodes. We go back to 2020 and John Stossel and the infamous incident in the 80s, and I was fortunate enough or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, I, I became a bail enforcement agent, a bounty hunter, working for Dr. D. David Schultz. So... Yeah, Dark Side of the Ring is, is a must-watch if you're into the industry, even if you're just a casual Dark Side of the Ring. And those are true stories, Kevin, true facts, stuff that I lived and experienced myself when I worked with a lot of those guys. 
Yeah, for me, my favorite one was the Herb Abrams one, only because, well, for two reasons. One, you know, being a longtime WWE employee, I kind of lived through a lot of the other ones, or I heard a lot of the stories, and I didn't know all that much about Herb Abrams and the UWF. Now, what people don't know is the connection with Herb Abrams and the UWF with a guy who I'm working for right now, where Bruno Sammartino was the commissioner and who was also involved with UWF, and that's the godfather, Tony Capone, and North American Wrestling Alliance, was associated with the latter days of the UWF before they broke away from Herb Abrams and the insanity, and now the NAWA in the 21st century here in 2020 is coming back with a vengeance. And if you remember something about Tony Capone, he was running buildings in the late 90s that only Vince McMahon was running in the North American Wrestling Alliance, and Kevin, keep an eye on that because I took over for commissioner for Bruno. I've been commissioner for the last bunch of years. And since I've been active again, since 2015, they're coming back and signing every major star and legend from the WWE. And you're going to see it right in the tri-state area. And it's going to go national. Uh, he's doing big things. Uh, Godfather and that North American wrestling Alliance. I'll keep an eye on that. Where do we follow them? Are they on uh, Twitter, Facebook? Website. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, NAWAWrestling.com. You can also father, uh, follow on Facebook and all Twitter, Tony Capone, the Godfather. It's the same thing on all social media. And he was so successful in the 90s. They went from U UWF to Top Contenders, Inc., to using everyone from Jim Cornette to the Samoans to Sid Justice to Shane Douglas when he was the ECW heavyweight champion. Taz got his start there, Sabu, Joey Styles. That's how big the North American Wrestling Alliance was in the 90s into the early 2000s where we even used Brett the Hitman Hart. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And to bring Bruno into the group. So they have a track record going forward. Kevin, Flip, I'm hoping to be a big part of it. So we'll see what happens with the North American Wrestling Alliance. Sounds fun. I'm sorry, Flip. No, I, I know you got a question. I, I really want to get your opinion both chaos and flips opinion on this um <laughs> as flip rolls his eyes uh oh i'm sorry i'll make it a good one i promise I'm given waiting. your history <laughs> given your history chaos as a hype man <laughs> if people could see flip right now uh who is the greatest <laughs> hype man <laughs> is he on the peloton <laughs> no i take the fifth amendment here my, my guess is he got a text and he wasn't rolling his eyes at me. He was rolling his eyes at the text. I hope. All no, right. it's actually you. But I knew it. Going. It's always me. Good, Kev, all Kev. right. KS, you're a great hype man. I want to know who you think is the greatest hype man of all time. I have my opinion that I'm going to want to know Flip. Well, currently, people will say Paul Heyman is an excellent hype man. He did it for Brock Lesnar mainstream MMA guy into the WWE now for the last bunch of years. He's doing it now for Roman Reigns. The hype men that I liked back in the day, how could you not like someone and people I molded myself after is someone like Bobby the Brain Heenan. Someone like that, someone Jimmy Hart was a different sort of hype man, but I studied under Jim Cornette, Gary Hart. I've been able to consult with guys like Bill Alfonso and I rolled my character in and I was even at one point going to play Captain Lou Albano Jr. because that's my character. So those are, to me, in my opinion, Kevin, where I come from just being an old school guy as hype men that are unbelievable. I'd love to hear uh, yours and Flip. Well, Flip, you go because I bet my answer is the same as yours. Well, it depends on how you define hype, right? 
if you define hype, I guess a couple of different ways. If you define it in someone who, you know, got people so intrigued who, uh, by this, by wrestling and someone who helped sell tickets to wrestling and someone who was uh, a big reason for its popularity. Uh, one of the people that I probably won't come to mind, but I think was really instrumental in the, well, obviously Hulk Hogan would be to me, it would be one. And then I would mean Gene Oakland had a lot to do with how the, how it was represented on television and how, what he did to sort of uh, put uh, some of the wrestlers over and to create, to, uh, to underscore storyline and to uh, help sell the product. Uh, you know, considering that he was a, just was a wrestling commentator, I think his, his, his influences were, were enormous. Uh, there, we go go back. Gorgeous George, right? Who so was understood the uh, sold more tickets to wrestling and was responsible for its huge ratings and its popularity in the infancy of television. That so we say hype. I mean, what's hype in this case is not meant to be. It's not a derogatory term. It's it's meant to me. It's meant as a way of like hyping hyping the business, getting people interested in the product. So if by if that's your definition and that's where we're going with that, those that would be my answer. Yeah, good point. I guess it's how you define hype, man, right? And I probably should have uh, clarified it a bit more. In my mind, it's it's manager. You know, it's it's the Paul oh, Heyman, maybe manager. that Kaius. And I'm going to say a name. I don't think there's a more talented. There might be. He's in the top five, in my opinion, Bobby the Brain Heenan. He could do everything from commentate to manage to get in the ring and then look like a fool because he's supposed to look like a fool. I mean, he had it all. He was a five five tool player, in my opinion. I, I want to go backwards a little bit. That's probably all I've done since I started this show is go backwards. But, uh, but I'm, I want to go backwards because I, we need to go backwards to go forward. Um, WrestleMania. When you talk about sort of the biggest events in sports entertainment, without question, WrestleMania has become one of them. If you, if you go by how many people attend the event when we have, again, when we have a, not a non-COVID society, when people were able to attend events, how many people would attend? the size of the event, the spectacle that it became, not only just the, 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 the talented wrestlers who were in the ring, but also the people from the world of entertainment who contributed to the popularity and the establishment of WrestleMania as a sort of a worldwide phenomenon, if you would. Uh, it's definitely a spectacle in every sense of the word. And to me, when WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, when they turned around, they saw all those people there and they saw the pay-per-view numbers, they realized that, you know what? Boy, have we really made it now? And to your point, Flip, these host cities are generating hundreds of millions of dollars just in the in revenue. You know, hotels, restaurants, people are making vacations out of it. So, to your point, yeah, it, it is. When you say sports entertainment, I think sports and entertainment. It's one of the biggest things going. Well, uh, to your point, Flip, and, and to your point, Kevin. Obviously, WrestleMania was was the biggest pay per views in the history of this industry and in this business. And I believe the first 10, 15 years were phenomenal. I look back to the NWA, who was competing with the WWF at the time, no WrestleMania, but I look at the Great American Bash and Starcade and what WCW and the NWA was doing back then. And to me, I was watching that product just as much, throwing world-class championship wrestling and what the AWA was doing out there with the Ganyas, uh, Mid-Atlantic, Florida Championship Wrestling. It was unbelievable. But as far as pay-per-views, WrestleMania was the biggest spectacle that brought in all the stars and was the benchmark. Now today, not so much, but those early days of WrestleMania, the first 10, 15, 20 years and bringing in all the stars and just the attendance numbers. You're right. It was amazing. 
one of the benchmarks that intrigues me the most is how uh, sort of local news covers things. And the, all the events that you just mentioned, you know, outside of WrestleMania, all big, but all inside the circle of wrestling. WrestleMania went outside the circle of wrestling. It became an event where people would, uh, local news would cover it as an event. They wouldn't cover so much as wrestling. It was, it was a happening. It was indeed a spectacle. Remember George Michael's sports machine, the, t- sure. the sports show? He would report on it like it was real. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of people How did. about we go back to the days of Warner Wolf reporting it on the New York News? Uh, that's what I grew up on or as a young man. It was unbelievable when Warner reported the highlights from uh, Madison Square Garden. Let's go to the videotape. That's right. But, but that really speaks, that's really much is my point. That it went, it went, it, it, for as big as, as wrestling was becoming and did become, that event took it someplace else. And because it, it got so big, it was not, not mainstream. It went beyond mainstream because now it was part of, of, a, of a culture that was not even, that didn't even speak to wrestling. It spoke to something larger. Well, and here it is. Uh, uh, 35 years later, or we just had WrestleMania 36 in the COVID pandemic. And then, you know, it's something I'm sure we'll get on to. 37 is supposed to be next year in Los Angeles. But here it is 37 years later, Kevin and Flip. And not only did it go mainstream back then, it was the beginning of the MTV rock and roll commercial, Saturday night's main event, NBC Sports. Now, in 2020, it's intertwined with Fox and the NFL, and everyone's talking about it's part of the halftime commercials for the Super Bowl. It doesn't get much bigger than being on Fox right now. No, it doesn't. And the numbers show they're they're crushing it on SmackDown. I'm glad you brought up the pandemic chaos. How do you think WWE's doing? Because you know they are, after all, a live events company, or at least in part a live events company, um, and part of their prestige is that live event that they put on, and they're. They're not necessarily doing that right now. How do you think they're handling the pandemic? Well, first off, uh, obviously, Kevin, not having a live crowd in professional wrestling in all sports is a huge thing. Pro wrestling is derivative uh, of the fans and their energy. Although pro wrestlers are performers and entertainers, and you obviously perform in front of nobody in empty arenas, doing the independence to earn your stripes. So I'll give the companies credit right now, whether it be WWE, AEW, Ring of Honors, trying to do a couple of things, Impact. Uh, Who knows what's going to happen with MLW and the NWA. New Japan is running. But I think all the companies for what they did and put forth was a valiant effort. Now, I'm a little tough and a little critical on certain people, whether it be Pritchard or Dunn, but I don't call people out because I give credit for what the talent had to do. I'm glad they got out of the performance center. They they didn't really follow and handle the pandemic the greatest to begin with, but no one did. And, and so I give the WWE a lot of credit. There's no off season. It was the only entertainment or sport, if you will, that continued through the pandemic when everybody else shut down. And that's why they thrive. That's why they're still holding on to the ratings. And that's why AEW Dynamite is doing fantastic also. And that's why during the pandemic, you're getting over 6 million viewers. Wrestling's on five and six nights a week. Chaos. As someone who was uh, in the business and still is in the business, uh, and seen biggest names in the history of the sport, in the history of, of sports entertainment. Uh, what if you said to go one match, one match that you'd say that you would recommend everybody see, not only for its its entertainment value, but for the pure athleticism that was part of that match, 
Who would be the two wrestlers and, uh, and why that match? It's a broad question, but if I had to, I would go back to an era. If I wanted to pick the greatest matches, I mean, you can go back to a certain WrestleMania matches with Macho Man and, and Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair's matches. I'm from that era of where I love watching Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk and the Four Horsemen and, and things like that, you know. So matches like that, it's very tough, but some of the best matches, classic matches. And I, I want Kevin's thought on this as a guy who's, I consider someone as an insider in the business. And I heard about Kevin Sullivan that he has so many sources. He has to outsource his sources. Now, I don't know what that means, but, but I heard that about him. Don't and tell so anyone. Ricky Steamboat and the Macho Man might have had one of the best matches. And, and Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. I mean, for me, it's tough being in the business. I want to hear Kevin's thoughts on, on one of the best matches or pure athleticism. It's a tough question. Yeah, so I like, obviously, everyone points to Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage. That was when uh, those false finishes before false finishes were, were in vogue. Um, probably why it was such a big match, why everyone loved it. Uh, for me, it, I always loved WrestleMania 8, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper for the IC title. Um, great athleticism, but a better story told. Um, how they, they went back and they told about how they're, they were uh, – friends growing up or families were close. And then toward the end when Piper has the chair and he's like, do I hit Brett? Do I hit Brett? Like that's storytelling at its finest for me. Uh, if I could recommend anyone for a classic footage and classic Matt classics, because I consider myself a historian. If you've ever gone out and watched beyond the Matt and that documentary, I was fortunate enough to work with all three of those men, Jake the Snake Roberts, Terry Funk, Mick Foley. I've worked with guys that have passed on and been part of Yokozuna and Umaga. But if I can go back to, to what we were talking about, Kevin, I, I would recommend Jimmy Snuka and Don Morocco from the garden in that steel cage match. To me, one of the most athletic, pure athletic things I've ever seen for Superfly coming off the top of the cage. I remember where I was when I saw that. So I rented the Coliseum home video. I heard about it in the magazines, but I never actually saw it. Um, and it was on one of those compilation tapes. And I remember sitting, legs crossed, living room, watching TV, and just being a, like mind blown. That was well, amazing. The, the funny thing is, uh, me too. I, I was in my early 20s. I know I'm showing my age, but I was fortunate enough to be on some of the same events 25 years later with Don Morocco, who has a podcast right now called Making Waves, which is on Facebook Live every Thursday. Uh, and I also was fortunate enough or unfortunate to be in the ring twice across the ring from Superfly Jimmy Snuka and tried to crack a coconut over his head, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> my guess is you didn't do well <laughs> listen i'm going to tell this story quick we're in boston it was myself and jack master john diamond against superfly jimmy snooker and jimmy snooker jr he had a guy on his side called pat the brat piper doing the whole piper gimmick we were working for the world wrestling association with mike and fred sparta who worked in the front offices of the wwe we're backstage jimmy snooker a hall of famer was lucky enough to grant us permission to do this it was my idea to get the coconut we tried to drill it backstage because it was so heavy and so thick and so hard. We get into the ring. Here's my spot. 
I get up on the ring. I hold the coconut up to the crowd. I go darting across the ring where John Diamond has Snooker in a double underhook. I go to smash Snooker in the head. He ducks. I hit the Jackmaster, busted his head open, five staples. We were in Boston Memorial till three o'clock in the morning. And what a fiasco, busted open for real, Kevin. And then Snooker headbutt me. And then he hit the, the flying body press from the top rope on John Diamond. And we lose one, two, three. What a memory. Busted him open hard way, Flip. Hard, hard way. way. Amazing. Amazing. Um, you, you, you mentioned for real. You just used the expression for real. And this is, uh, you know, we just, we talked about, we talked about sort of the, the high spots of, of, uh, of professional wrestling for the last, uh, uh, as, as long as we've been doing this interview, which has been quite a while now. We've talked about the high spots. But there is a side to the business that isn't very glamorous. There's a side to this uh, of the business where, you know, the wrestlers are on the road, you know, 320 days a year. They're uh, going from, you know, city to city to city to city, sometimes doing two, maybe three shows, three shows in a day. Uh, as much as this may be scripted, you know, people get hurt because, you know, bumps are, are bumps. And, and in order to, you know, the more, uh, the more realistic the bump, the more, uh, the, more the, 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 the heat, the more the crowd, the more the realism. But also a real bump is a real bump and pain is pain. So there's a lot of personal pain that goes into for the performers. There's a lot of endless travel. There's a lot of exhaustion. And, uh, you know, it's, and sometimes this is not the most glamorous profession. And sometimes the years in it are very short. Flip, you're 100% correct. Uh, I would like to speak to that just as someone who is a, a part-time wrestler, a pro wrestling manager. I've had six concussions. I've had multiple shoulder surgeries, multiple knees, uh, injured backs, the whole nine yards, going through tables, getting hit with chairs, uh, a gigging for real, busted open the hard way, as Kevin Sullivan said. And I can attest to the guys that I train with now and that run Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling that have had fused necks, the injuries, guys that have been paralyzed in the WWE. You have to trust your body with the person you're working with and the unbelievable athleticism and, and what it does to your body and no off season and no rest. That's where the dark side comes in especially back in the day of the 70s and 80s where people turned to pain pills and so on and so forth and self-medication, which I don't think is as prevalent in 2020, thank God, as it was in my era, because I've experienced some of it myself, to be quite honest. It is, uh, the, the performers are non-union. Right? They don't, the, uh, all sports now has, they, there's, all, there's all unionization. You know, the NBA and players of a union, the baseball players of a union, hockey players of a union. But there is no there is no union in the uh, in the world of wrestling, and that would be really important for the players, the uh, for the wrestlers to have one, wouldn't it be? Well, the caveat there, Flip, and, and they're independent contractors. I don't like the label as someone who's an independent contractor of independent contractors because Vince and the WWE, and I'm not speaking to to him personally, but just the company and the way the business is run, they own your like likeness. But you have no medical, you have no retirement. You are on the road. You, Vince and, and the WWE, and again, I use that in general terms, coming out with the whole third-party thing that they just came out with now, that you can't use anything associated with WWE. It's in your contract. And I have to agree with the WWE and Vince McMahon on that one. If you're going to use your stage name under the guise of the company that's employing you, then you shouldn't be able to do that. That's part of your contract. With that being said, how can you be an independent contractor, but yet your likeness is owned? And that's why the WWE just had the CTE concussion issue thrown out of court. 
There's been a lot of controversy with that and the injuries and in medical care and long-term retirement and substance abuse that comes with it. Now, the WWE cleaned up the rap. They have an unbelievable wellness policy, but it's still a huge issue. And I'm not going to be here like Jesse Ventura back in the 80s where Hulk Hogan turned him in and tried to start a union. But I have nothing to lose. And I believe for the talent, for the boys and the girls and the locker room, they could be taken care of better than what they are for what they do compared to other organizations in major league sports. I mean, I don't know how Kevin Sullivan feels about that, but I'm going to put him on the spot and put his feet to the fire as someone is an insider. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Kevin. And I, I hope you can answer that. Yeah. One of the things I think, um, you know, with the pandemic, there's going to be some good things that come out of the pandemic. Um, I know that sounds funny to say, but in retrospect, we might look back and, you know, you mentioned guys are on the road 300 times a year. I think they figured out that maybe they don't need that anymore, right? So you said they cleaned up their act. They did clean up their act as far as, um, you know, they're really paying attention to head safety. They are doing everything they can to get people in uh, help rehab if they need it. Um, and they might soften this schedule a little bit. And I think that'll make a world of difference. To Kevin's point about the pandemic and what we've learned about traveling and, and different things like that, and we'll, we'll get away from the whole union issue. Before the pandemic hit, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible, there was no better time to be in this wrestling industry before this pandemic hit with all the competition, what Tony Khan and AEW has brought to the table and now being on TNT and wrestling being on almost every night. The NWA and Billy Corgan was on YouTube drawing hundreds of thousands of people. MLW and Court Bob and what that company's doing is unbelievable. And I think when the pandemic comes back, they're going to get bigger and better. And they have all these third generation wrestlers from the Von Erichs to the Samoans to the Hart Foundation and on down. Let's not forget Impact and what the parent company Anthem is doing. And now they're running alternative events and being back out there on pay-per-view and has some of the best talent in the world. The Sinclair Group and Ring of Honor is running their pure tournament now and they hope to turn things around at ring of honor and sinclair new japan as i said and i know i'm going on and on has opened up over in japan there's no better time the independents are coming back now and it's almost like the territorial system as to what i do at paradise alley in north american which is going to go bigger and international there's no better time. There's a lot of work for the talent. You can go out there and you can make it into the business. Look how AEW and NWA are combining and impact in certain other groups. So in my opinion, if you're talent and you're trying to get into the business and you pay your dues, there is no better time to be in the pro wrestling industry with the competition and how much exposure, even during the pandemic, which has forced people to become creative in social media and put yourself out there to a plus if you do it the right way, uh, Flip and Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's no uh, shortage of wrestling. Um, almost to a fault, though, I would say. So, you know, one of the things I would like to ask you and one of the things I think about sometimes, like, let's say, Chaos, you won the lotto. Now you decided <laughs> you're going to buy WWE. What's the first change you make? And I'll go, I'll give you mine first. It's the oversatiation, is that a word? Saturation. Sat saturation, there we go. The oversaturation. Yeah, the, the content is just too accessible, right? So I'll use YouTube as an example. Let's say they make $5 million a year off of YouTube, but they're making a billion dollars off of their TV deals and their ratings are slipping. 
because I could just watch the best parts on YouTube. I will sacrifice the $5 million from YouTube to know that I can sign another billion dollar deal five years from now. Well, I, I have to agree with you, Kevin. That's a great point about oversaturation. It's a double-edged sword in the industry and in the business. The oversaturation is good for the talent and the stars because you have a chance to work and you have a chance to get paid and make this as a living. And that's what everyone is trying to do. So that part is good. But for ratings and advertisers and sponsors, there is an oversaturation because you're right. You can go to YouTube, you can go to social media. So I believe and, and I'll get back to the WWE when the big four pay-per-views, speaking of oversaturation, AEW's on one night a week, Kevin. They might get a second show. They run four pay-per-views a year. I know it's only in its infancy. Vince McMahon and the WWE run 12 pay-per-views a year, and they're on three and four nights a week. There's your oversaturation. All right, so Cass, we're going to give you the floor here. Two things. And then closing. One is, if I said to you, I need you to give me a really good promo as to why people need to listen to you on curtain call. What, give me something that really sells sub, I want you to create a little heat. I want you to sell this thing. I want you to put, put your wrestling hat on the way you would sell a wrestling card or a wrestling match. I want you to sell curtain call and stand by in five, four, three, two, one, go chaos. Welcome back to Chaos Corner. It's your old buddy, the guardian of chaos, Big Daddy. And I tell it like it is. I'll say that to say this. Listen to the Curtain Call podcast with 2020 National Broadcasting Hall of Famer John J. Filippelli and New York Times bestselling author Mr. Kevin Sullivan every week, every night, every day. You're not going to want to miss it. The Curtain Call with John J. Filippelli and Kevin Sullivan. Don't you dare miss it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we can retire now, Kev. That's it. I love it. <laughs> Kevin, that was a great point. Not to, not to cut anyone off. You know, that's the Guardian of Chaos character does. I couldn't agree with you more, Kevin, going back to your point about oversaturation and Monday Night Raw. If they brought it down to two hours, uh, I believe the ratings would go back up like they did for SmackDown, and the ratings on Raw are terrible right now. So that's a valid point. And, and Kevin, you may be able to kayfabe flip, <laughs> but you cannot kayfabe the guardian of chaos, Big Daddy, because I know you know what you're talking about. I appreciate that. <laughs> Flip, I've never kayfabed you, I swear. No, no, you never have. I, I, to your credit, although you've tried every day, you never have gotten that far. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Big Daddy, in closing, in closing, uh, give me, just give me your, your thoughts about the business in general, your career. I know this is a very broad question, but like uh, you can go back and change anything. One thing and, and over all these years of doing what you did and doing it at the level which you did it, uh, what would you change? Uh, Flip, I'm going to be honest with you. And I know a lot of people say this, but I'm speaking from the heart. I wouldn't change anything because I'm still going to do what I tried to do at 21 here at approaching 57 years old. So I wouldn't change a thing about it, maybe a little healthier, but I wouldn't have changed the people I hung out with. I wouldn't have changed the things that I did. I wouldn't really have changed anything. Now I could sit here and sound like a bitter old man and say, oh, I never signed a contract, chaos is that. 
that doesn't really matter to me. Listen, I was just inducted last year into the class of 2019 New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame with so many famous people. That right there is enough for me. I'm a member of the active member of the Cauliflower Alley Club, which I hope to become a lifetime member and get out to the conventions. Coming up on October 3rd, I'm getting inducted into the class of 2020 Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame with legendary grapplers like Paul Roma from the Four Horsemen and Power Glory or Mario Mancini, who was the first uh, opponent in the WWF for The Undertaker, second-generation grappler Paul Perez, who was in the WWE, and, of course, Big Dave Paradise, all worked under the guidance of Vince McMahon. If I could say anything, fans, follow me on social media at Twitter, at Big Daddy GOC, and the GOC stands for the Guardian of Chaos. Hit the profile. You'll go over to my YouTube link, and you'll see all the 30-plus years of how I've been in the business and what I do. So Flip I, I, and Kevin, I couldn't appreciate it more. I'm not going anywhere yet. I came back, I retired in 2007, 2007, 2008, getting put through tables by the Hall of Famers from the WWE, the Dudley Boys. I came back in 2015 after a personal tragedy of losing my daughter and a, a, a young boy being killed at the high school in an accident, which brought me back to volunteering and being back in this business and doing what I do and giving back and mentoring to people and charities. And that's what it's all about, contributing, making it better than when you came into it and giving back to people. And that's my mission. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it's all because in 2015, of my daughter. I'm blessed. I'm humble. I'm fortunate and I'm honored, but that's why I'm back. And that's why I would never change a thing because I'm still going to make it where I want to go. <laughs> Friends, that is the was is the guardian of chaos. A really good guy. Uh, someone who's made a difference in the, in the world of professional wrestling and uh, someone who knows a lot about life. Thanks for your time today. Uh, guardian of chaos, big daddy. Uh, thank you, Mr. John J. Filippelli. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. And I hope to see you guys again soon. Uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a blast. Thank you. You know, Flip, I say it every week, and uh, I mean it every week, but now I think I mean it more than ever. That was a ton of fun. It really was. Uh, Big Daddy Salahi is awesome. Uh, he's got some personality, and he's uh, been a fixture in the, the world of pro wrestling uh, you know, uh, an active participant and then an observer. Uh, you said sort of almost every job you could have in the business uh, for 35 years. I mean, that's a long time to be in a business and he speaks uh, well to it and he understands it and uh, has been a, a good spokesman uh, for it. And he's also was someone who, uh, you know, uh, not only can give you some history, but also shed some light on some of the things that uh, he, that industry could do better. And uh, he's not afraid to, to, to take us there. So uh, good guy and, uh, and uh, very interesting to listen to. And I uh, hope the viewers and listeners got something out of that because I certainly did. And before chaos, of course, we got the debut of Flip's home run call by John Sterling. Yes, we did, didn't we? <laughs> Yes, we did. Well, you know, you've made it in life when John Stoney gives you a home run call. So there you go. Now I've officially <laughs> done all you can do and pack it all in now, Kev, right? Oh, I thought it was nice great. Guy. Yeah, I did. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's a, he's a good guy like that. And I, uh, I like John. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes he takes unnecessary heat from the critics and, you know, and, uh, but I got to tell you that the fans love him and, uh, and, uh, and he's, he wears his passion on his sleeve for what he does. And he's 82 years old. He's 82 years old. And to, to bring it every day that he can, the most important thing to him is going to work every day and being behind that microphone. Anybody has that kind of, of you know, of, of just 
just not diligence, but that kind of, of passion for what they do and that kind of uh, uh, that, 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 that talent that he has that to underscore, you know, how happy he is to be doing what he does every single day. You know, a lot of people at a certain age, they pack it in, they won't do it anymore. They've had enough, they get bored by it. Not John, he brings something to it every day. So you have to tip your hat to him and to Susan too. You know, the mom, pop, pinstripe, or something else, but they're, uh, but they are, they know what they're doing, and they're fun to listen to, and uh, and the Yankee fans, and I have a lot of respect for them, and as I do too. Yeah, they are a blast. We promised more Yankees talk. I want to start with um, Clint Frazier. Let me ask you this, Flip. I know the season. We're still in 2020. We're not even in the postseason yet. I'm gonna fast forward to 2021. Clint Frazier is your everyday left fielder. True or false? That is a hard question to answer uh, only because, you know, Stanton could be playing the outfield. I mean, is it possible Gardner, Gardner, I think has a year left in his contract, he comes back. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, for the first, uh, you know, 54, 50 games, it has been a bit of a struggle for Brett, but, uh, you know, Brett still has got uh, baseball left in him and, uh, and, uh, and uh, can do it at a high level. So I, I think that that's, that is to be determined. I think, Although I understand where you're going with the question, I think it's to be determined. But I will say this: considering his struggles, whether it be with defense or with maturity, Al Frazier has come back from that, and he's playing better defense. He's worked really, really hard to improve his defense, and his maturity level now is is something to behold. Because that was a big question about him was his maturity. But you know, I put it to anybody who's listening to this: How mature are you at 25 or 26? You know, it's, it's not easy. I mean, nobody's a full, says, could look at themselves and say, I'm a fully developed person. Sometimes it takes a little while longer. He's doing it as a youth in the glare of a spotlight in the biggest city in the, in the world, uh, with the biggest media in the coverage in the world, where everything is, is taken apart and scrutinized and, and, uh, and uh, sort of uh, you're held accountable for every single thing you do or say. And that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody that young. So I think that he's come back and, and has rallied very nicely. I think he's showing some real maturity and some real growth. We always knew he could hit. That was never the question. And he's obviously showing it really now. But, he, but he's always shown you that he's got that, that stroke that he can hit. Because the other things in this game that needed to be worked on, and now that they've been worked on, he's really starting to become a real player. So I think at one time the Yankees sort of said to him, oh, boy, this is a big trade chip for us because of his potential. You know what? I think now the Yankees just say, I don't want to trade this guy. I want to find a way to get him at bats. I want to find a way to keep him because he's valuable to us. Not only has he worked on his defense – and it's gotten better. I'd say he's a good defensive outfielder at this point. Some of the plays he made so far this season have been amazing, highlighted by that Superman catch he made in right field, which was something else. Yes. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of athleticism. And uh, he really needed to get down because his defense was quite – was, was somewhat poor. And he's gotten a lot better at it. Um, you know, and, and that, he will only get better. As his confidence grows and he gets more maturity and more, more experience and gets to play more games and more at-bats and more games in the field, he will grow in every capacity. So it's looking like now, I mean, which was – remember, the Yankees got uh, – uh, that was a big deal for the Andrew Miller deal. and He was a big piece of that deal. And, uh, and you know, Justice Sheffield was a big piece of that deal that later turned into Paxton. But now if, if Frazier could be a mainstay on the Yankees and contribute in ways um, – 
especially giving them depth with with because some of the players have gotten hurt in the outfield before and and you know may do so again. He becomes an important part of the team to the point that you almost have to keep him around because you can't trade somebody with that talent. And, and given that that's sort of a Yankee issue, is sort of the health of their outfielders. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say. 2021, he is in the lineup every day. Clint Frazier is in the lineup every day. Beware, because you know how I am with predictions. Yes. Orioles. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but uh, <laughs> let's just say with, uh, with, I am confident, confident at this point, with less than a week to play, that you will owe me a dinner uh, for your uh, misplaced faith in the Baltimore Orioles. But that's okay. I sort of knew it at the time. I pressed it, but then I said, you know what? I'll let it play out because I know I was confident at the end of the season um, that I would be left standing and you not so much so over your misplaced faith and the ability of the Baltimore Orioles to, uh, to uh, create havoc in the American League. Misplaced. That's a good way of saying it because there was something to be placed. What I was trying to do was say 16 teams is too many for the postseason. Somebody like the Orioles. I sh- and I should have said the Marlins. Because the Marlins obviously will be making the postseason. Um, you see Kratz throw that knuckleball on Sunday? He's awesome. <laughs> Isn't he great? The, he should be on the coaching staff. When he was done playing, there should be a place for him in the Yankee organization as a coach. Uh, the players really like him. They really respect him. The younger players really look up to him. And he's not only, but he's done it all his perseverance, kept him in the big leagues. He's had to work so much harder because maybe he didn't have the, the talent that a lot of other catchers have had. And so he's had to work doubly hard, but he's done it. He's been there all these years and he's been in a lot of organizations, but he perseveres. He's still around and he makes a contribution wherever he goes. And a lot of it is just like the, the sort of the, the intangible stuff that you can't always measure, except you can measure heart and you can measure uh, someone's effect on the people they are, that are around them and its effect on the play pool around them is palpable. Speaking of Kratz, Jack Curry tweeted a great trivia question Sunday before the game. So l- let me throw it at you. See if you can answer it. The Yankees carry a 10 game winning streak into today's game. The last time the Yankees had an 11 game winning streak was August 31st to September 10th, 1985. There were only three Yankees alive in 1985 on the current team. Who are they? I gave you one. Right. That would be Eric. Yeah. So now you got two more. And I can give you hints. Well, let me think for a minute. 1985. So 85, 95, 05, 15. So it took, they've got to be around over 35 years old. Right? So who, who in the Yankees yeah. is over 35? Right. Well, I know the answer. Well, how about if I said, well, anybody over 35 who's on the current roster? But that's not really <laughs> answering your question. So who is over 35 that's on the current roster that would have been alive then? Uh, you know what? For the sake of time, it's like it doesn't come to me off the top of my head. Uh, Hap. The same hairstyle as me. Yeah, Hap. Hap. Okay. And the other one, other one has the same hairstyle as me. Yul Brenner. <laughs> Gardy. Oh, Guardy, of course, of course. Right, okay. That makes That's all the sense in the world. There you go. Yeah, that you was fun. About baseball, apparently I don't. <laughs> there you go. Let's remind everybody, because next week I don't want to do any work. I just want to read their questions. Okay, I feel the same way. And we yeah. can take a week off without really taking a week off. So rate, review, subscribe, number one. Number two, please, please, please get us a question. And that question they send to where? With that question, now they get to us? 
curtaincallyes at gmail.com, or you could tweet us at curtaincallyes. Okay, so the next show that we do, thank you very much. In our next show, we will hopefully have questions, and we will then put a bow on the Yankee regular season, and we'll talk about uh, their playoff possibilities and their playoff uh, potential and uh, the uh, for their run, an October run. So Game we'll on, do let's all do that it. next week. So we've got to talk about. So well, so it's time words of Ashley Figazi. I think it's time to land the plane. So on behalf of Kevin Sullivan and for Kevin Sullivan, I'm John Filippelli, and uh, we will see talk to you in a week. Get those questions to us, and uh, thank you, Big Daddy. And on that, we roll out. Bye.